This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. John chapter 14, verse 17. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. The world... And by that, I think Jesus means those who are in love with the things of this world, those who don't believe in God, who have not received himself, who who don't believe in Jesus. Jesus says the world cannot receive the Spirit. And part of why, he says, is because in the first place, the world doesn't even believe there is a Spirit. Right? The world, then as now, is overly fixed on what is seen, can only trust what you can see, touch, and smell. And because God the Spirit is invisible the world isn't reaching out to receive him. It does, it's not looking beyond the things of this world towards the invisible God. On its own, the world can reach all kinds of heights of knowledge in different areas, whether it's of deep space or particle physics or whatever complicated, complex thing uh, that scientists are discovering. Um, there might be a lot of knowledge reached But on its own, the world could never attain to the knowledge that the creator of the universe is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that the Son came and took on flesh and died for us. This isn't knowledge that the world can find on itself. It's knowledge that only the Holy Spirit can reveal. Only the Spirit of truth, as Jesus calls him here, the Spirit of truth can help us to see and understand, to reach out and actually grasp the invisible God. All the knowledge of the world is of no ultimate value. The only knowledge that's of ultimate value is is this knowledge of God. So spiritual knowledge is much more important than worldly knowledge. And Jesus says, he's speaking, you know, he says the word no, knowledge. He says, you know him. You know him. Each of you here who believes in Jesus Christ, who has been baptized, you have the Holy Spirit, right? We have actually, we are now living in the era that Jesus promised when he says, the Spirit will be in you. That never happened before the new covenant, before Pentecost, right? We see the Spirit speaking through prophets. We see the Spirit filling kings and prophets. We see the Spirit guiding the apostles. But until Pentecost, the Spirit doesn't come to live within the souls of men and women. We have the Holy Spirit. Jesus says we know him, but my question is, do you know him? Do you know him who lives within you? If somehow the Holy Spirit could write you a letter in the mail, or I guess an email these days, would you recognize that it was the Spirit by its content? The same way if you got a letter from a, or an email from a best friend or a spouse, they don't have to sign their name or you have to see their name before you know who it's from, right? You know the content. Oh yeah, that's how... My wife speaks to me. That's how my friend speaks to me. Would you recognize the Holy Spirit? Do you know him? Would you recognize an imposter? If you got an email from the Holy Spirit, could you tell if it was a forgery by its contents? I'm talking, of course, about spiritual discernment. Now, St. Paul lists, lists among the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 the ability to distinguish between spirits. I think because Paul is talking about gifts that benefit the body, there he's talking about, man, there's never a train on Sunday morning. Um, yeah, uh, the secular train schedule. Um, 
It's Pentecost, people. Um, <laughs> he's talking about the ability, I think, a supernatural ministry gift to distinguish spirits in other people. That's given from time to time to different people, but all of the things that Paul lists, there's special gifts for the body, but there's ways we're supposed to all have them for ourselves, right? He lists faith as one of the gifts. That doesn't mean that only some people have faith. We're all supposed to have faith, right? But some people have a sort of supernatural, extraordinary trust in God, which really shapes the life of the church. Same thing with discernment. We're all supposed to have discernment of the Spirit of God in our, in our own lives. Sadly, I think um, Christians today, many Christians today, thankfully not all, but many miss out on this calling that God has for us in actually two opposite ways. There's sort of a portion of God's church today that has reduced Christianity to intellectual precepts to be known, to sort of systematic theology, that once you've mastered it, you've got Christianity. And have actually neglected a living, conversational, dialogue-based relationship with God. On the other side, there's a whole other group of Christians who... um, interpret every inner feeling and idea and hunch as coming directly from God. And I think both of these sides are wrong. To the one who is not engaging with the Spirit of God at all, I I want to say the Bible clearly says the Spirit is our teacher. The Spirit does talk to us. To the other who thinks every hunch and prompting is from God, the f- truth is, is there are many other things that can give us hunches and promptings that are not God, namely the flesh and the devil. Most of the time, almost all the time, it's the flesh. And one of the Desert Fathers talks about, he has some, there's some junior monk who says, ah, oh, the devil's tempting me with this and the devil's tempting me with that. And the senior monk says, why are you blaming the devil? I see your flesh and it's plenty to be causing um, the troubles that you're having. So we, we shouldn't, we can err on either side, right? Either failing to listen to the Spirit at all or over-interpreting every whim as being from the Spirit. So to bring us uh, to the thing I wish to communicate this morning, is trying to answer the question, how do we recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit within? We already know the Holy Spirit is within. How do we discern what is truly His voice? How do we develop that listening ear so that we can live into the promise that Jesus says, he assumes, you will know the Holy Spirit. You'll know him. I want to offer um, three tests that you can apply. Anytime you get some hunch, some sense, some voice of conscience or a direction, some way you think you're supposed to be going, I would offer that very quickly to sort of uh, run it by three different tests and see if it's really from God. And the first one is the most important. Run it by the test of, is it in harmony with the full witness of the Bible? Is it in harmony with the Scriptures? Because the same Holy Spirit that lives in each of you is the same Holy Spirit that spoke through the prophets and the evangelists and the apostles. It's the same God, and He's not going to contradict Himself, right? Anything that God, the Holy Spirit, would speak to us in the present will be in conformity to what he's already spoken to us in his word. So, um, one of the things that, uh, to be able to run this test with yourself, you actually have to know what's in the Bible, right? You have to have a thorough knowledge of God's word to be able to ask yourself, is this in keeping with God's word? Um, and the great joy of the Reformation and the, those who put the scriptures back into 
the language we understand and the printing press and all these things is that you all have Bibles. Right? This is knowledge is readily available if we would just pick it up. And what I'd offer is that most of us are willing to spend the amount of time it takes to know the Bible well on other things of much more fleeting importance. Um, my, my neighbor likes to run half marathons, and to get into full half marathon shape takes him about an hour a day for six months. And he's, then he can run a half marathon, right? If you were to do that same amount of time, say 30 minutes a day for a year, you could have a thorough knowledge of the Bible, on par with what, you know, I wish that se uh, seminarians graduated with more knowledge of the Bible than that, but that's a, as much knowledge as a Christian needs to know the Bible. Now, you can explore it endlessly beyond, to your dying breath, but it's not an impossible feat to get to know the content of the scripture. So if, for whatever reason, you don't, your station in life, you can't afford that much time to invest, so you need to know something now, that's why God's given us each other. If you want to know if something that you're thinking is in keeping with the Bible, but you yourself don't know the Bible that well, that's okay. Surely you have a friend who is more mature in Christ, who, knows the, who you know knows the Bible well. If you don't have a friend, you could come talk to me. I, I'd love to talk with you about it. And you could say, hey, is this in conformity with the Bible? Not just how I, what I think the Bible might say, but you know, chapter and verse, does the scripture speak about these things? And to run it by that test. Does it square with the Bible? If any idea that you have doesn't square with the Bible, it is certainly not from God. Certainly, you can just rule it out. You can say, well, it sounded like a pious idea, but it goes against that scripture pretty plainly. So that's the first test is the Bible. Um, the second test of any interior prompting or guidance after the scriptures, um, and we need it because the scriptures don't weigh in clearly on everything. And also there are some scriptures which we are liable to sort of warp towards our own ends. The second test is, does it flatter me and puff me up or does it humble me? Right? Because one of the things we know from what Jesus has said the life of following him looks like is that um, God never wants us to do the thing that would just sort of make us feel great about ourselves and proud and kind of puffing us up. Instead, Jesus says in as many ways as you could say it, Luke 9.23, Self-denial is the way of following God, not self-satisfaction. Living like a servant, Mark 9.35, not like a master. Being humble, not pretending greatness, Matthew 23.12. Jesus says it as many ways as possible. The direction of following God is one of becoming more lowly of heart, not more sort of, aren't I amazing? So if your idea would lead to sort of, oh yeah, that would make me look amazing, also probably not from God, right? That's a test we can use to discern these promptings. There's a, actually a catch to the second test and it leads to the third. So you run it by the Bible, you run it by does it sort of puff you up or, 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 bring, or lead you into more humility? The third test is the catch to the second that our radar can be broken, right? Um, this happens to me most regularly when I'm uh, conflicting with Carrie, who's here in the nursery right now, so I don't have to blush saying it, but um, where I, I really know that I'm in the right on this one, <laughs> right, in a conflict. And one of the things I've learned is that when my flesh is riled up, the old language from yesteryear was when the passions are excited, right, when anger or self-righteousness is kind of boiling or some sense of being wronged has kind of got me riled up, um, there's, there's 
sort of a handful of things that, that rile up the flesh, right? Anger, um, gluttony, lust, you know, um, self-righteousness. These, you, know, when you, you know that feeling, it's a physical feeling, isn't it? When your blood pressure kind of goes up and kind of puffed up. Whenever that is the case in your body and heart, it's impossible to discern what God would actually have you do. Because you'll trick yourself. You'll say, oh no, I know this is what God would have me do. But in the sort of blindness of the flesh, it's fogging the radar. I wish I knew more about radar to understand a metaphor that works better, because um, I think radar does go through fog. Um, but <laughs> um, but it, it, it's, it's electrical noise. <laughs> there you go, scrambling the radar. So we actually have to be on guard that if you want to know God's will for your life, don't trust your discernment when the flesh is riled up. You've got to wait for it to cool. I think this is part of why the scriptures again and again are pleading and blessing us towards have the peace of Christ. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Right? Only when the heart is quiet is that radar accurate for, Lord, what you, which way are you guiding me? What, what would actually be good for my soul? What would humble me rather than puff me up? If, if our flesh is noisy, we're not going to be able to hear rightly. So um, the flip side of these three tests is if you have some idea, some hunch, something you think you should do or not do or, or whatnot, and you run it by the test, is it biblical? Maybe from your own knowledge of the Bible, maybe asking a friend, and you think, well, and yet it, it's not leading to me sort of puffing myself up, okay. And yeah, my heart is at peace. I'm not riled up in the flesh. If it passes those tests, you've ruled out the flesh. You're ruling out the flesh with those tests. What remains is the voice of the Spirit. And this is, I think, one of the really exciting realities of Pentecost, that when with these, this careful discernment of spirits, we can rule out the world, the flesh, and the devil, that prompting that remains is actually the living God directing us. And it, don't get me wrong, it's not actually a great labor to really test these things. In most cases, the Holy Spirit himself will bring to mind a verse of the Bible that will say, uh-uh, that's not the way, right? These tests can be run very quickly, in the heart. What remains then is that sense of, wow, the living God, who is, I, I had this sort of funny idea as I was driving to church this morning, because um, I have a hard time conceptualizing the size of God, because of course he's bigger than the universe, but I just imagined if there was a giant whose foot was the size of Opelika, you'd be kind of impressed by that guy, right? God's like literally infinitely bigger than that. <laughs> but here's the infinitely large God caring about our small lives, that he actually desires to be glorified in the tiny little arena and quadrant that we fill on this earth. It's his desire out of his love for us. And that he's actively giving us guidance towards himself for actions that we can do to bless the body of Christ. Right? That's what we see in 1 Corinthians. The Holy Spirit's, one of his works is that we would bless each other in the local church. That God himself is actually giving us these suggestions, that still small voice in the heart, um, which is really, I think we take it for granted as Christians, how magnificent that is, that God himself wants to guide us in even small ways in the midst of the day-to-day, -day -day, and that it's our task to discern that voice of God, that we would know him. Uh, and so I, I just encourage you to not fall off either side of missing out of knowing him, right? either by completely ignoring the fact that he would speak to us, making Christianity all about just knowledge. Or on the other side, mistaking counterfeits for the voice of God. That's another way to miss out on the true voice of God, right? 
If you're just following the sort of inner feelings that come from your own flesh, that's not following the voice of God. It's actually made worse if you call that God, right? Uh, Don't fall for the imposters, but know him. Live into what Jesus assures us is the case, that we will know him because he doesn't just abide with us. He dwells in us. Amen.